This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Here we are, once again, last show of the week. If you hear a top-of-the-hour theme that's just a little bit different than usual, then you know it is almost time for the weekend, and we are going to begin this program as we do each and every Friday edition of The Other Side of Midnight with a little bit of... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything. anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. That's right. If you're new to the program, if you're a new listener, this is your opportunity to control the content for the next hour. If you have questions about anything, simply dial 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. And I will do my best to answer questions about anything I can. If you want to know my opinion about anything, if you want to know an aspect of my personal biography that you think uh, that I've neglected, if you want to ask about uh, cocktails, cinema, Atlantic City, pro wrestling, baseball, uh, international affairs, you name it, now is the time to do so. 800-848-9222, Unlike last week when my wife Rachel was here, it's uh, just me today. So make the questions interesting. And whoever has the most interesting question in the eyes of our producer, Matt Blaze, will be the proud recipient of, are you ready for this? A magnet. So you have a lot of incentive to make them good. Two in, two open lines now if you want to jump on board with a question. These open lines don't last during this hour. Make them creative. Make them interesting. Make them good. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with uh, a former listener of the week, Igor in New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. Hey, uh, last week uh, you, you did an interview with the actor um, uh, Roger Cabler where, where he impersonated Robin Williams. And and in, 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 in that interview, he had mentioned uh, that um, Robin Williams has come to him and sort of inhabited his body or the spirit of Robin Williams has come into his body. So I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's possible? Do you think that uh, a person uh, who's no longer on this earth uh, could come through and channel through a person that's on this earth presently? And secondly, do you think that that has occurred with Roger Cabler? Do you believe his story? Um, well, the first part, I'm going to say yes. I do believe that, um, that you know, the spirit world works in interesting ways and uh, anything can happen. As for whether that happened with Roger Cabler, I have no idea. I, I, I think it's possible, but I think what's more likely in his case is that he believes that it happened. And sometimes... When you believe that uh, something like that that's occurring, sometimes it can almost be the same as if it has occurred in terms of the 
uh, of the effect. I, I really think the the mind is a very malleable thing, and the mind is also enormously powerful and can create um, changes in your physical being as well. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, honestly, I have no idea whether that happened, but I believe that Roger Cabler believes it. I think if you hooked him up to a polygraph test and um, it would show that he was answering honestly that he does believe it. I don't know whether it's true or not, uh, but I don't know. You know, it's funny. The, I recently rewatched all of the uh, Universal Frankenstein movies and there's one, House of Dracula, which is decent. It's it's not in my top four, but it's probably in my top seven. And part of the premise is that um, one of the, you know, there's a, a very skeptical doctor, Dr. Franz Edelman. And part of the premise is that he believes that um, the Wolfman, Lawrence Talbot, is not actually... Um, afflicted with becoming a werewolf basically he believes that it's all mental and that's again i'm oversimplifying the plot it's a you know 90 minute movie but even back in the 40s this was well understood that you could physically manifest all sorts of changes based on what's in your mind 800-848-9222, Mary is in New Jersey. Hello, Mary. Hi, Frank. Um, my question is, do you have a favorite star? And uh, what is it and why? Do you, um, do you mean a uh, celestial a body? in the heavens. You know... Yes, yes. Uh, I, um... I'm going to go with Orion. Um, I, I, you know, I know that's a constellation, but uh, any yeah. of the stars within Orion, because I, I look up at the stars a great deal, and it's tougher and tougher to see the stars because of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, light pollution. But that is one of the few constellations that I can usually identify. So I feel like I'm always on the lookout for it. So I'm going to go with uh, any of the stars that constitute Orion. Okay, lovely. And that's very ancient and, uh, you know, mythological. So, Thank you. Excellent. I appreciate that, Mary. <laughs> Have a great weekend. 800-848-9222. Chris is in the Catskills. Hi, Chris. Good morning, Frank. Hi. So with all the buzz going on about Cuomo and, and his uh, former aide, Melissa DeRosa, potentially running for offices, so we have uh, Bannon challenging your friend Nicole Maliotakis. His state Senate seat would open up if George Latimer were to run for Congress. His what, what, county. When you say Bannon, seat, Steve Bannon. Uh, I'm sorry, the state senator that's going to challenge Maliotakis. Oh, I, I think you mean the city council member, Justin Justin Brannon. Okay, okay. So thanks for correcting me. So he, so he, I don't know city politics. I know upstate politics right, better okay. than you, mm -hmm. right? But so, um, so that city council seat would open up. That would potentially be something that DeRosa could run for. Or if Westchester County Executive opens up, that could be potentially something that Cuomo could run for. Or if um, somebody has would have to, there's a, a Democrat has to challenge the Nassau County Executive. So w what would your... Um, viewpoints be on potential challenges with that with the two of them 
Well, first of all, you know, that district uh, where Justin Brannon represents in the city council, and he's term limited anyway, so it's a, an open seat in two years regardless. So she could run for that seat regardless. Uh, but she doesn't live in that district, and that's a district that's very um, neighborhood based. So I don't see I don't see her having any I, I don't see her running for that that particular seat at all. I could see her maybe running for another open council seat in Manhattan. But, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, so maybe maybe she would do that. Uh, you know, again, I think Cuomo's best avenue for a political comeback is to run for Congress against Michael Lawler. I think that's probably a better electoral path to victory for him than Westchester County Executive or anything like that. I don't know. 800-848-9222. Al is in Yonkers. Hi, Al. Al. Oh, Frank. Hi, Frank. Sorry about you. Frank, you smoke cigars, correct? Uh, once in a while, sure. Do you ever get, you know, because I recently, I, I used to be an ex-smoker, and uh, I had a CT scan of the lung recently. Uh, do you ever get concerned of lung cancer, and uh, have you ever had a CT scan of the lung? I have not had a CT scan uh, I, I am, uh, so, you know, so no, the, that, the, that answer is no. I've not ever gotten concerned about lung cancer, uh, because like most cigar smokers, I, I don't inhale. Uh, now it's not to say that cigars are safe or beneficial in any way, but yeah. the, the cancers that cigar and pipe smokers are more likely to get are not lung cancer. They tend to be, unless you, you know, inhale the cigars, but assuming you smoke them as most people do, not inhaling, they're uh, cancers of the tongue, the mouth, maybe the jaw, which are very serious and can certainly be fatal, but they don't generally tend to be the kind of lung cancers that uh, cigarette smokers get. 800-848-9222. Hello, George. Hi. Hi. Uh, hi. Hi. Sorry hi. about that. Sure, George. George, what's your question? Okay, I got off that. Uh, by the way, those who believe they uh, uh, do not inhale, they still inhale uh, a small amount. All right, so George, okay, what's your question? question? Yep. All right, the question is this. Wouldn't it be nice for this station to have someone, at least just one even, you know, liberal, so that we'd hear the opposite side of the stories because all we like Lynn Samuels would be pretty good not someone who's right are you talking about WABC in New York absolutely yeah I think um, yeah I think uh, absolutely I mean look I I think uh, radio stations are at their best talk stations when they have a wide variety of programming Uh, not just news but uh, sports uh, medical shows cooking shows advice shows I think that's great be a full-service radio show where um, you know, that's how talk radio used to be. But if it is going to be mostly a, a news talk station, I think uh, it's great to have uh, a liberal liberal talents on the air. And there are so many incredibly talented liberal talk show hosts that are out there. People like Jay Diamond, people like Richard Bay, uh, people like Brian Whitman, many others. And um, some of my favorite hosts have been left wing folks like Alan Combs, folks like Ron Kuby. 100 percent. Absolutely. I think the more diversity And not just liberal versus conservative, but even some people that don't necessarily fit into an ideological box. If you look at who's doing really well in the uh, podcast sphere, it's folks like uh, Joe Rogan. It's folks like uh, Jocko Willink. It's folks like uh, Glenn Greenwald. And if you look at how uh, independent media is doing, 
then I really think there's an enormous amount of uh, potential for that to be emulated on terrestrial radio with folks that um, don't necessarily fit into liberal, conservative. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that has made this show do well because I think it's kind of, you know, all over the place. All right, 800 848 9222. 800 848 9222. This is a nice treat. Uh, sit lolly, our uh, telephone, our uh, guest booker, is kind enough to hang out with us today, as per my suggestion. So, those of you that are calling, be on your best behavior because we have a guest observing the show and we want to create a – we want to put forth our best foot forward. So come up with good questions. 800-848-9222. Chester is in Baltimore. Hello, Chester. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. How you doing, sir? I am, I am as lively as a cat chasing a laser pointer. Okay, well, I'm not doing too good. I just wanted to let you know I lost my wife of 28 years on the 12th of this month. Uh, I'm sorry to hear uh, that. Thank you, sir. But coming in and listening to you does soothe me and calm me down and get me on the right track. So just want to thank you for that. Mm, you know, well, I'm happy to help in any small way. I know how tough that can be. All right. My question for you today is, can a sitting president hold two positions at once, say like Speaker of the House, and then does he have to step down to become president, or can he hold both positions? Well, um, there's a little bit of a debate about that because it's uncharted territory, and that was actually covered in one episode of The West Wing. But um, most constitutional scholars believe you would have to step down from your prior position. And that's precisely what happened in that uh, in that episode of the of the West Wing where the Speaker of the House becomes president and, um, you know, and he, he resigns as Speaker of the House to make sure that there's no you know, there are no problems with, um, you know, with him holding both positions. However, I will oh. just add. I will add that there are some states where this has occurred and the person has not stepped down and they've continued to hold both positions. The best example that I can think of is my friend Dick Cody in New Jersey. He was the president of the state Senate. And when Jim McGreevy resigned, he was the next in line to become governor. And he became, they called him acting governor. But during that time, he was also in control of the state Senate as the president of the state Senate. So he was actually in control of, of you know, two of the three branches of government or at least one and a half branches of government. So it's not a clear cut question and we've not faced it. But uh, most people believe you would have to step down from Speaker of the House or whatever other role you had. Okay, that's what I thought, and I thank you for answering and clearing that up for me. Thank Thank you, you, Chester. Appreciate it. Meantime, The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Breaking News. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, some bad news out of the Middle East. Uh, We are seeing the um, the, the, uh, Gaza combat has resumed. Uh, Israel says Gaza combat has resumed. Talks are set to continue. So as this truce has expired, Israel's military announced that it was uh, resuming fighting after it said that Hamas had fired a projectile from Gaza. So the war continues, unfortunately. We'll bring you all the latest on that. Hey, let me tell you what's coming up. Um, In line with this, we have two people who are well-versed in international affairs. All three of them may be well-versed in international affairs, but I know two for sure. Um, 
Andrew Roberts, who is one of the best regarded historians and writers on foreign policy and public affairs, he's going to join us in our fourth hour. In our uh, third hour, we're going to talk – no, excuse me, in our third hour, Andrew Roberts is going to be here. And in our uh, fourth hour, Mike Rogers, the uh, former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, he's going to join us. And then in our second hour, we're going to follow up on that uh, story regarding Congress and the UAPs from yesterday with Jeremy Scott from Into the Parabnormal. You know, it's funny. When I was leaving the House last night, I asked my wife – do you have any suggestions for questions for Mike Rogers or uh, Andrew Roberts? And she said, no, I don't have any questions for people who have two first names as their name. And I thought, well, that's interesting. She's right. Mike Rogers, Andrew Roberts. And then it just happens that the other guest that we have today is named Jeremy Scott. So we have three people who have potentially interchangeable first and last names. Isn't that interesting? So that is the theme to today's show. So if you're one of these people that like like a Michael Christian or a Scott Douglas that has a first name and a last name that could be interchangeable, maybe this is your time to call in with a question. We're going to continue straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Midnight, that's Katy Perry. Uh, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this program, just join the Facebook group. Uh, search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O, Radio Fans and Haters. We're in the midst of... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. If you have an interesting question, give us a call, 800-848-9222. And as judged by, by Matt Blaze, whoever comes comes up with the most interesting, most creative, most thought-provoking question will be the recipient of a complimentary magnet. That's for sure. Rick on Long Island. What's your question, Rick? Frank, how are you tonight, man? Dude, the, love your the, show. The, that's you the easiest what? question I had, I've gotten in weeks. I had an excellent weeks. question for, for Dr. Sky. Okay. But, uh, hopefully, uh, I'm going to try to get in next session. Great. But I have a question for you. Uh, females have have uh, have nipples. You kidding? Okay, for breastfeeding. You know, right. they're, they're young. Okay, why do males have 
nipples. Well, there's actually an interesting book about this, and I read it at the time. I mean, it's close to 20 years ago. It's by Billy Goldberg. And uh, so I actually I, I do I know a little bit about this from having read that book. Males have nipples because of the way that embryos develop in the initial weeks after gestation. The oh, people that wow. are well, no, but but just uh, let me just finish the thought. Though people that are born female and male are the same sex until sex chromosomes are defined. That doesn't happen until week six or seven of a pregnancy. Nipples oh. begin to develop before that time. Wow. But it's a really interesting book. If you want to check it out, it's called Why Do Men Have Nipples? It's by, uh, as I mentioned, Bill, <laughs> Billy Goldberg. I'm not joking. It's a very good book. Oh, big yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good book. It, and it's not just about that. It's about hundreds of questions you'd only ask a doctor after your third martini. It's a really interesting book that has all <laughs> cl- kinds of cool questions like that. So if that's the kind of thing that you find yourself wondering about, um, you can get the book for, you know, used on Amazon for 96 cents. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, check it out. Thanks, Frank. Rick, thanks. Uh, have a good weekend. 800-848-9222. Bob's in Manorville. Hello, Bob. Hi. Listening on 107.1. Love it. Yeah, yeah Frank, um, I have a quick question, and then I'll, my main question. Um, sure. I was listening to you uh, last uh, last Friday morning. Um, I guess it was the, the, the night after or the morning after Thanksgiving. Sure. And you were staying at a hotel somewhere on Long Island, correct? Correct. Yeah, cause I so I work in a lot of hotels because I uh, I install commercial satellite system head ends. Mm-hmm. So the vintage you will you and your brother were checking out a vintage radio. Mm-hmm. Is that is that true? Well, I don't lobby? know. I don't know if it was um, vintage, but it did look it did look of uh, it did look old school. I don't know if it was genuine or if it was just made to look old. Okay, because I know I'd seen it, but I don't remember actually what hotel it was. Can I guess it? Would yeah. it happen to be the Best Western Woodbury? No, it was a uh, it was a holiday it was a uh, Holiday Inn. Holiday Holiday Inn Express of uh, the LIE. I don't remember if it was a Holiday Inn Express, um, it, but it okay. was uh, it was a Holiday Inn. It was out in Suffolk, out in eastern eastern. Okay, London. I, <laughs> I've been there. I've been. I, I've seen it, but I just. I I just forgot where it was. Anyway, my uh, my question is: um, I also listened last Thursday, and you had a guest on that was um, she's like a movie critic, and she was um, rating the movie uh, about Napoleon. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, she said I was all set to take my kid to see it, and then she said there's a a, a sex scene in the movie. Okay, that. Um, you know, like where he, you know, he's, right, Make, right, makes right. weird noises. A, she said, "Yeah, yeah." So, I mean, do you think that's necessary? Like, you know, you want you. I, I was going to take my child to see it because it's it's history. You follow what I'm saying? But right. Um, well, how old? I heard how that. Old, I said, "I'm not going to. I'm not going to." How old is your I'm son? I'm not going to take it. Uh, my daughter. Actually, oh, daughter. Actually, sorry. she's in a. 
she's an adult, but we like to go to movies together. So that makes it even more awkward. You follow what I'm saying? So yeah, but uh, look, um, I mean, so you knew, so it's rated R, right? So you know, you know, there's going to be some stuff in there that's going to be um, inappropriate for children. But you know, I kind of get where you're coming from about not wanting to watch a, uh, you know, a sex scene with uh, your child, no matter what the age. That always can be a little bit, uh, a little bit awkward. I, I get that. Well, I guess it's glad that uh, you know. Good thing that um, you know that she threw that in there. Right. Um, you know, my my, my grandma- question is I'm, right. I'm ahead. sorry. My my question is why do they do that? Like why why do they feel that's necessary to put that in the movie about Napoleon? Who cares about his? how his sex life was you know it's funny then. so again i haven't seen the film so i can't necessarily speak to the specifics of that film i am going to speak with uh one of the best napoleon historians ever andrew roberts in about two hours and i'm going to ask him the same question i asked debbie schlussel last week about the historical accuracy of that film she said it was historically accurate but this is a real napoleon expert so i'm going to ask him I hear where you're coming from, and I've heard this from a lot of people. My grandmother uh, used to talk to me about this a lot, and she used to say that, uh, you know, she didn't like that, that they got so graphic with all the sex scenes that um, what they used to do in movies, and she thought there was nothing wrong with it, is show a couple kissing and then just kind of dissolve or fade to black, and it was clear that that was a love scene and that they were having sex. I see that, and I get it. I have seen so many well-done love scenes, though, and look, I I appreciate your situation, Bob, and not wanting the awkwardness of seeing that with your, your daughter. I I don't honestly don't think there's anything wrong with seeing a sex scene in a film that you know that's rated R. You know, a film that's rated R is meant for adults, and I think there's nothing wrong with seeing sex. I mean... I actually have more of a problem with violence. Uh, I mean, and that kind of violence that uh, is becoming more and more pervasive, I think there's a strong case to be made that uh, seeing this kind of violence desensitizes people to actually participating in violence. Sex is something that eventually everybody or almost everybody is going to do, and it's kind of universal. So I I don't think that people should get freaked out by nudity or sexuality, but people should make that determination for themselves. As to why they do it, I believe it's a business decision because there is now – when movies are made these days, it's not just the American marketplace that that determines whether that film is a hit or or a flop. These movies are distributed internationally, and uh, they're distributed in Asia, obviously across Europe, and all over the world, even in Africa. And there are certain things that don't translate well. Uh, American comedy, for instance, and I think this is part of the reason why you see fewer and fewer comedies being made. American comedy um, doesn't necessarily translate well in Japanese. Things that are physical, be it violence be it sex, action of any sort, that does translate just as well in Japanese, in French, in German. So I think the people that make these films with big budgets, the only way they have any chance of making that money back in uh, in making these films is to get a huge overseas box office. And I think... 
part of the way that that's guaranteed is by having a film that has a lot of action and a lot of sex because that's the only way that um, you know those are universally understood. It's a good question though, Bob, and people certainly might disagree. 800-848-9222. Jake is in Rockland. What's your question, Jake? Uh, I was wondering your opinion. Maybe I, I was thinking maybe it's time for America. So I don't know who but someone to start a third party. Well, I mean, Jake, I have spent my entire adult life, even actually prior to being an adult, my entire life working towards that very thing. I uh, So I completely agree, and I would actually go farther. I, I think it's not just time for a third party. I think what America needs is a vibrant, multi-party democracy. I mean, if you look at all the views on all the different issues that are out there— and then you think, all right, but the only realistic chance that uh, that you have of choosing a candidate that could get elected to anything is one from column A or one from column B. I mean, it's a joke. And it's really only 50 percent better than what the choices that they have in communist China or in North Korea. It's a joke. I think um, if you look at all the choices that you have when you go to a Chinese restaurant in America, there are hundreds of choices. You could have whatever you want. And yet, in this country, we try to boil every political um, supposition down to just column A or column B. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Not only do I think it's time for a third party, and I think we could actually do with a few parties, I think we need the two-party system as we know it totally blown up and rebuilt. I think it's essential that we have a multi-party system at this point because clearly if you look at what the Democrats and Republicans have done to this country since they've been in charge, I mean, it's a disaster. It is a disaster. And that's not to say they're not a lot of great Republicans and a lot of great Democrats, but can they really be trusted with the continued stewardship of this country? I don't think so. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Uh, Joe is in the Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, hi, Frank. My question's kind of long-winded. Uh, you know, I was in Chicago at one point looking at, it's interesting, they had some uh, a section with the roads from, uh, you know, the 1800s, which was surprising, but going up to the top of the Sears Tower, I was thinking, people actually worked to build this. And uh, you look at the Verrazano Bridge and people even painting it at those heights. So my question is, would people even from high school, early high school, being attached to smartphones, are you going to get people that are going to do that level of construction work at this point going forward? Well, I think it's a real problem, and I've covered that with a variety of guests, including uh, Mike Porcelli, who's been a guest on the show, talking about the need for uh, things like trade education, which I firmly believe in. Unfortunately, I think that's one of the reasons that there's such a demand for immigration, both legal and illegal, because there is a willingness and a know-how among migrants or immigrants, legal and illegal, to work in those trades, construction, automotive, and other trades that uh, a lot of Americans either aren't 
aware of how to do or they actually want to demand a living wage. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we should throw the border open and let anybody who wants to come in come in, although it's difficult to see at times how that would be much different from the situation that we're currently in. But I think um, what you describe is a real problem. I think we need a massive investment in trade education in this country, but not just for the reason that you mentioned, but for a variety of, uh, of reasons. Because, look, if we can't build anything, what do we become? You know, there was a there was a, one of my favorite books. I've talked about it before is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's a whole series of books. And I think it's the second or third book in that series. It's either The Restaurant at the End of the Universe or uh, Life, the Universe and Everything, where this planet, I believe I don't remember that this, this planet gets rid of very similar to Earth. They get rid of all of what they consider to be their useless people. They get rid of the uh, telephone sanitizers and things of that nature. And they send these people off because they didn't think they had any sort of the Golgofrinchians. That was the race. So they get rid of their marketing executives, their management consultants, the telephone sanitizers, and they send them out on an arc. And these people land on a planet, a a planet that's capable of sustaining life. And they find, shockingly, that nobody knows how to do anything. They don't know how to create fire. They know how to market fire. They know how to create a committee to discuss fire. They don't know how to make fire. They don't know how to build anything. And unfortunately, now that came out about 40 years ago, maybe 35 years ago, I see our country becoming that planet settled by the Golgofrinchians. We're rapidly becoming a country that doesn't know how to do anything. And I'll, look, I'll include myself in that category. Um, my father, in addition to being a very skilled uh, scholar, uh, a trained economist, a guy that ran a very successful business, did very well, um, knows about public policy, knows about everything, and a very skilled athlete, he's also almost a master craftsman. He can build all sorts of things. He can fix all sorts of things, both mechanic and woodworking and things like that. I, I have to be honest, and I think my brothers are in the same category as, as I am. I can barely hammer a nail. Whenever I have to hammer a nail or use a drill, my wife looks at me and I could see her holding her breath, almost saying, please let him not break this. Please let him not make this worse. And I think that that's just one generation. And I don't think I'm alone. Unfortunately, I think that's this is becoming the norm. Pandemic inability to do anything. Um, so I think it's a real problem. All right. Got a lot more questions to get to. Uh, Hopefully they'll be interesting and a magnet could be in your future. I'm sorry that um, I've been so long-winded in my answers. You try to be substantive, but substantive answers sometimes go on for a bit. I'll endeavor to be a little bit more brief going forward. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at midnight with Frank Morano. You get a shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park, but meantime, sound of the river, you stop and you hold everything. 
Of Swing by Dire Straits. This is a uh, birthday bumper music selection from um, a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, a big listener to this show, famed criminal defense attorney Arthur Idala, who uh, says this is his favorite hour of the week. And I hear that from more and more people. Uh, so I appreciate that. And uh, happy birthday, Arthur. I hope all your wishes come true. Not just today, but always. All right, we are in the midst of... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Uh, Let me hear your questions. 800-848-9222. Let's say hello to Jim in Tennessee. Hello, Jim. Hi, it's Tim, but Jim will work. Tim. Uh, Sorry about that, Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. I'm going to give you a list of three people, in your opinion, let us know which one you think would be the most clear and present danger to the public. Okay. Number one, a politician who is heavily compromised by deep pocket billionaires, either domestic or foreign. Number two, a serial killer with a double doctorate degree that graduated top of the class in both criminal justice and forensic science, or a cross-eyed nun with a bullwhip and a bottle of gin in Times Square. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with the serial killer because, uh, you know, I'm tempted to pick the politician because, but whatever office the politician has, usually there's some bureaucracy to, um, to function as a bit of a backstop. But if you're a serial killer and you really want to go out and kill people, you're going to find a way to kill people. If you're a state senator or a member of Congress, you may make poor decisions, but I, I don't know that that will necessarily result in people being killed. 800-848-9222. Rocco is in Saratoga. Hello, Rocco. Good evening, Frank. Good evening, Lolly. And good evening, listeners across America. Arthur, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. And um, the question is, Frank, when you're making love with Rachel, who fades to black first? Uh, I guess it depends on the uh, on the on the occasion. Um, uh, it's probably me more more often than I care to admit. Uh, Ray is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Ray. Yes, Frank. Um, having Rachel on last week, you seem to have a very healthy relationship. Is there any jealousy? Uh, are you freely open openly about ex girlfriends and so forth on either end of of, of their um, of your relationship? I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, none on my end. I, I obviously I can't speak for her. I, um, you know, there was a time 
maybe early on in our relationship that uh, I was uh, a little bit, uh, uh, not jealous, that's not even the right word, but, you know, a little, uh, you know, perturbed that she had to have a conversation with her ex about something. And uh, a friend of mine said to me, you know, what do you care? You know, she's with you. And if she wanted to be with that guy, she'd be with that guy. And, you know, really just that one anecdote, and thanks for the call, Ray, that one anecdote really uh, did uh, make me feel that way. So, no, uh, there's not an ounce of jealousy on um, my end at all. I, I can't speak for her, obviously. I would hope not. I think, um, you know, I think we have a very good relationship built on, you know, built on a great deal of trust. 800-848-9222. Charlie is in Hell's Kitchen. Hi, Charlie. Hello, Frank. Uh, and happy birthday, Arthur. I know my question is regarding Jamie Dimon's statement earlier today. He was saying that Republicans should just get behind Nikki Haley because, you know, he thinks mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis. I saw that. Sure. Can, yeah, Ron DeSantis. Okay. I, I'm appalled that this billionaire class is, is trying to take control of the Republican Party. Now, you know what an average and a ferocious Trump supporter I am. If, if the bigwigs in the party try and fix it so that Donald Trump doesn't get just to spite people, and this may come as a surprise or shock to you, but just to spite people, if they manage to get Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis as the nominee, just to spite them, I'll vote for Joe Biden. I mean, if they do, and, I, and I'm saying this is an avid Trump supporter. My, my question to you is, and I'll get to the question, is what did you think of Jamie Dimon's statement today? And real quick, as a second question, did you happen to see the debate tonight? Yeah, I'm going to talk about the debate um, next hour. You know, as far as that um, uh, Jamie Dimon uh, comment, I found it not at all surprising. And I actually found it incredibly uh, honest because, look, if you're a globalist billionaire who makes money the way things are now and, you know, with the status quo and you prefer kind of the old guard of the GOP, the George Bush style Republican, the Mitt Romney style Republican that wants a couple of things, um, cheap labor and, through any means necessary, including open borders and free trade. And lower, pro- you know, lower price products and Wall Street bailouts. Who's a safer bet for you, Trump or Haley? Haley, you know what you're getting. You, there's going to be continued bailouts of too big to fail businesses. There's going to be continued endless wars, which is great for the military industrial complex. With Trump, you're not getting that. In fact, he sometimes he would go in that direction, but he explicitly says he's going in the other direction. So I I was not at all surprised that that's how he feels. I was surprised that that's what he said publicly. You know, uh, I think I think it was Jamie Dimon. If it wasn't Jamie Dimon, it was someone at a similar bank. When in 2015, when both Hillary Clinton and Jeb Bush were running for president and they were they were at the top of both of their parties or near the top. Jamie Dimon said publicly, if I'm remembering correctly, that he would be just fine with either um, Jeb Bush or Hillary Clinton winning the presidency. Mort Zuckerman, uh, who's part of that same elitist billionaire class of globalists, said the same thing. And I think they would absolutely be fine with those guys. Nikki Haley is a return to Bush-Clinton policies. She is. 
Trump is very different. He you know, love him or hate him. He's very different. He's different stylistically and he's different policy wise. You know, with Trump, you get you don't get cheap labor through illegal immigration and open borders with Trump. You don't get uh, endless wars with Trump. You don't get, um, you know, cheap goods through free trade. It's very different with Trump. And it's not at all good for that Wall Street class. 800-848-9222. Nick is in New Jersey. Hi, Nick. What's your question? Hey, um, if you could end one war, whether it be uh, Russia or Ukraine, Israel and Hamas, which one would it be? Well, obviously, I'd love to end both. I'm going to say... um, the uh, it's it's tough, um, but I'm going to say the the Russia Ukraine war, uh, just because uh, I I know Israel has nuclear weapons, but I have much greater confidence that Israel will refrain from using nuclear weapons, especially on the Gaza Strip, which is you know essentially just an adjacent part of Israel or neighboring at the very least. Then I do Russia. I could see a situation where either Russia uses nuclear weapons or more likely there's some sort of nuclear accident involving nuclear weapons, either with the Russians or with uh, an ally of Ukraine. So because of uh, to me, nuclear weapons are the global game changer. Right. And when you talk in nuclear weapons, it's a um, it's a, it, it's a zero sum game. Everybody loses once nuclear weapons get involved. And I don't see, even if this war in Israel expands to include other countries, I don't see nuclear weapons getting involved. So if I had to end one, I'm ending the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. 800-848-9222. Herb is in Ohio. Hello, Herb. Hello. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I am uh, just dandy. Thanks. Good to hear I didn't have a question as much as a suggestion. Okay. We have the holidays coming up. Mm-hmm. And we see Xmas everywhere instead of Christmas. How's about replacing the cross, replacing it with a cross instead of an X? Just to fit Christ back in Christmas, maybe just a little bit. Yeah, look, I'm all for celebrating Christmas with the Christ in it and saying uh, Christmas rather than writing out Xmas. I don't think Xmas, when they write out Xmas, is an attempt to take Christianity out of Christmas. I, I think there are attempts to secularize Christmas. I don't think that that's it. I, I honestly think most of the time it's an attempt to save space in a sign or on a text message because, you know, the, the X is, it's meant to be read as Christmas. I don't think you're actually supposed to read it as Xmas. I mean, that's how it was explained to me the first time I saw it. And that was decades ago. So, um, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think that's honestly that big of a deal. 800-848-9222, two open lines. If you want to try and squeeze in a question, uh, Jr. is in Georgia. Hello, J- uh, Jr. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Hey, a question asked. Uh, I heard that in the event of a terrorist attack and an individual died, or say a building blew up or whatever, that because it was a terrorist attack and there was not a declared war, that there was no insurance that be able to be collected. Is that correct? 
I don't uh, believe so. I, I don't believe so, but I guess it would depend on what kind of insurance policy that person had or that building had. But no, I don't believe that's correct. Well, but if, if it wasn't a declared, you know, it wasn't declared a war and it wasn't declared a terrorist attack, I guess you would be covered. But if the government said, no, we're at a state of war, then something blew up, it was an act of war. So you're not going to be covered. But are you talking uh, sort of um, are you talking life insurance? Are you talking homeowners insurance? Are you talking well, what sort of insurance policy are we talking about? Life insurance. Yeah, I, I think it absolutely would be covered. I mean, uh, life insurance, if someone dies, usually the the prohibitions that I've seen on collecting on life insurance involve things like the beneficiary murdering the person whose life insurance policy it was, and maybe in some cases there are provisions preventing suicide. I am unaware of any life insurance policy that includes a um, a clause that uh, basically omits terrorism. Uh, again, I'm not an expert in insurance, but you know, I definitely don't think that that's the case. Alan is in Suffolk. Hello, Alan. Good morning, Frank. Frank, I always learned... God made Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve made Cain and Abel. Where did the next person come from? Well, they had other sons. The, the, in the book of Genesis, um, the third son was Seth. Okay. <laughs> no women. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think maybe they, they went on and were continually, were continually uh, fruitful, but I think they probably did have um, well, some women. At some point, wouldn't a brother and a sister would have to have sex? I, they probably would, yeah. Well, there's my answer. They, I never they, got it. They have it. Uh, but yeah, I, I know they had at least a third child, Seth. I don't, I don't recall if there were additional children of Adam and Eve. But first of all, I mean, I don't believe that the I mean, people may disagree, and I don't want to. I don't want to upset anyone, but I don't believe that the Old Testament is the literal truth. I, I don't. I mean, I know people disagree, but uh, I think it might be an inspired truth. But I, I don't literally take the story of uh, of uh, Cain and Abel as it was. It might have been. Might have been. I'm more of a, a New Testament guy in terms of the literal truth. Frank is in Babylon. Only have about 40 seconds, Frank. What's your question? Okay. Uh, nice, to, uh, nice to talk to you. Good morning. Um it's a relationship-related question. Um, been dating, you know, both formally married. Frank, uh, I got to put you on hold because we're almost out of time and we have a hard break. Uh, we'll carry you over. Matt Blaze, best question. You're going to love this. Rocco <laughs> with Who Fades to Black First, <laughs> you or Rachel? If I had the power to suspend you, I would. Rocco, call back and get your magnet. We're going to talk aliens and the DeSantis debate. I, sometimes I thought that was the same subject. Coming up in a moment. Until next hour, keep asking questions.